the Talmud, an ancient text which preserves for us the, the wisdom of the historic rabbis as they sought to interpret the scriptures, uh, the Talmud contains no less than 11 remedies for the precise condition that was suffered by the unnamed woman in this morning's reading. Here are a few of them. Take of the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of alum the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink, and say, Arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, surprise, surprise, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come behind her and frighten her and say, arise from thy flux. And if those tried and true methods of healing this particular ailment didn't work, a woman could also carry on her person the corn of a barley, and I'm not making this up, this comes from elsewhere in the town, but she could carry on her person the corn of a barley that she had plucked, emphasizing, I'm not making this up, that she had plucked from the droppings of a white she-donkey. So when Mark tells us this morning that the unnamed woman in this passage had gone to doctor after doctor and had exhausted every possible form of treatment available to her. He's saying he meant that that she tried everything, as in everything, everything. In the moment that the story took place, she probably had on her person one of those corns of barley. But, we're told, over the course of the 12 years that she had this affliction, it only grew worse. And as she was seeking out all these various wackadoodle treatments, she became bankrupt. And what's more, this particular ailment that she was suffering from, this hemorrhaging, this, this internal bleeding, this flow of blood, uh, this is an ailment that would have caused her to be deemed ritually unclean, meaning, of course, that she was excluded from communal worship, uh, and that if she even touched somebody, they too would have been deemed unclean. Uh, so all the people that she had once counted as close friends and neighbors for 12 years now, had been keeping their distance from her. She was not only unhealthy, she was not only poor, but she was now isolated and cut off from her her friends and her family religiously and socially. So, of course, when she saw this newly famous healer walking by with a throng of people pressing on him as they were wont to do, Of course, she did not hesitate to to work her way through the crowd, throw some elbows where she needed to throw elbows, and get in there and just try to to grab the hem of his garment in the hopes that that just might, that just might do the trick. It might just heal her. Keeping in mind that, that, that everybody that she touched, it was taboo for her to touch them, and they would become unclean in the process. So for her to go and and touch a rabbi such as Jesus, that was doubly, triply, quadruply a taboo thing for her to do. 
But desperate times, they call for desperate measures, and that's exactly what she did. She, she pushed her way through the crowd, leaving a wake of newly unclean people behind her, and she grabbed Jesus' clothing. And immediately, right, uh, immediately she felt that a cure go through her body. She felt that her body was healed. And there Jesus is, right? He's in a throng of people. They're pressing on him from, from all sides, and he just stops what he's doing uh, because he feels power leave from his body. There's, this is the only time in Scripture that this happens. He just stops and he says, Who touched my clothing? So the disciples who are there with him just kind of to step back and they look at Jesus with a cocked up eyebrow uh, and say, what do you mean, who touched your clothing, Jesus? Everyone is touching your clothing. You're surrounded by people who are pushing in on you, trying to hug you, trying to kiss you, trying to put their arm around you. What do you mean, who touched your clothing? Everyone has. But the woman who had received the healing, she knew that Jesus was referring to her. And so she threw herself at Jesus' feet. And we're told that she told him the whole truth. Jesus says, My daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And she stood up, fully restored, and went off in peace. But Jesus was not done on this day. This passage packs in a two-for-one healing special. Today we are also introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. And we are told that that Jairus is a president of the local synagogue. And that sounds like a pretty august title. Uh, But in a town of just, you know, two or three hundred people tops, and in a synagogue that had several people with the same title, uh, it's not quite as prestigious uh, as it sounds. However, in this small pond, Jairus was a big fish. We can assume that he was wealthier than his neighbors. We can assume that he was generally respected, looked up to. And as a president of the synagogue, he was in a pretty socially prominent position. And what's more, you know those stories that we've been reading about Jesus having run-ins with with Pharisees at the synagogue? that, That was Jairus' synagogue. You know the stories we read about Jesus violating the Sabbath at the synagogue, healing that guy's hand? Yeah, that, that was Jairus' synagogue. Uh, so Jairus' relationship with Jesus would have been strained, would have been fraught at very best. Uh, but much like the woman who was healed earlier, this Jairus, he was also in a desperate situation because his daughter was at death's door. And as a wealthy man, as a socially prominent man, you better believe that, that he had exhausted every healing option available to them, but nothing worked. Jesus was his last option. So Jairus set aside his pride. He set aside his preconceived notions, his biases about who Jesus was. His friends probably assumed that he was setting aside his common sense when he did this. But Jairus, too, went before Jesus, threw himself at at Jesus' feet, and he said, Jesus, would you come please heal my daughter? Jesus agrees, right? And so they head off to to Jairus' house. But along the way, right, is when when Jesus encounters this woman who who was 
internally bleeding, and he stops to, to have a little conversation with her. Stops to find out who had touched his clothing. And it was during that interval, that brief interval, that messengers came along to tell Jairus that his daughter had died. Like any father, Jairus was distraught. Uh, but Jesus says to him, he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Other translations put it like this, they say, do not be afraid, only have faith. These words seem to offer Jairus some sort of encouragement, because uh, he, he, he got up and he continued on his way to Jesus, to his home. When they arrive, they, they are greeted by the sight of mourners. Uh, and because Jairus was a prominent, a socially prominent individual, we can assume some of these are actually paid professional mourners who are just weeping and wailing all in and around Jairus' house. And in what was a super pastoral move, Jesus does what? He kicks them all out, right? He kicks everybody out of Jairus' house. And he allows in only three of his disciples, Jairus and Jairus' wife. And once they're in the house alone and and they're sitting in front of the bed in which Jairus' daughter laid dead, Jesus says the words, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. It's time to get up, little girl. And that phrase, little girl there, that's a term of endearment, such as a parent would speak to a child, um, perhaps better translated as honey. Jesus is saying, time to get up, honey, as a parent would say to a child who was in bed. And as if, as though she were just asleep, she opens her eyes and she gets up and Jesus instructs the people in the room to get her something to eat. She too had received healing and had been restored to life. So what we have in this morning's reading are two intersecting stories of healing involving two people who are pretty much polar opposites from one another. Uh, But neither of these individuals really understands who Jesus is. So on the one hand, right, we have uh, this unnamed woman. She is, of course, a woman. Uh, She is poor. She is outcast. She is isolated. She is unhealthy. And she is coming to Jesus to receive healing for herself. All she understands of Jesus is that he is a healer. uh, And a lot of scholars think that, that she believed that he was some sort of magical healer that he has some sort of magical properties about him, and that's why she could just go up and touch his garment and receive a healing. Uh, But the truth is, she didn't really care who Jesus was or how he was able to heal. All she cared about is that he was able to cure this affliction that had dogged her for 12 years. That's all she cared about. She just knew he was a healer. That is all that mattered to her. So that is an woman. Then on the other hand, right, of course, we have Jairus. He is a man. He is rich. Uh, he is certainly not outcast, right? He is a religious and social leader. He's in the very center of community life. And he is healthy, right? He's coming to seek healing, not for himself, but for his daughter. And to Jairus, 
You know, Jesus was a, a troublemaker, right? He was pulling shenanigans in the synagogue. Uh, he was a problem to be dealt with. Uh, and perhaps Jairus even thought of him as a borderline heretic, albeit a, a heretic who had some healing powers. But he too did not understand who Jesus really was. So we have this woman, we have Jairus. No one knows, neither understands Jesus. They don't get what he's about. They don't get what he is doing here on earth. And yet, and yet, Jesus commends the faith of both of these individuals. He commends their faith. He draws a connection between their faith and the healing that they receive. And that, that should cause us to, to scratch our heads uh, a little bit, shouldn't it? Because that doesn't sound like faith as we understand it here in America. I mean, if you ask any good American Christian uh, what it means to have faith in Jesus, because I think probably most people in this congregation, I won't ask you, I won't be on the spot, but they're going to run you down a list of things that you need to believe about Jesus. So, right, so like we have what? Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Uh, Jesus is the Word incarnate, uh, incarnate rather. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, and Jesus will come again in glory, uh, and so on and so forth. But the thing is, if you told any of those statements to this woman, to Jairus, they would have no idea what you were talking about. It would make absolutely no sense to them. And yet Jesus commends their faith, and as a result of their faith, he offers them a healing. Which suggests to us, I think, a simpler kind of faith. A more basic kind of faith. A faith that simply involves a turning to Jesus. A reaching out to Jesus. A hope and a trust in Jesus that brings healing and wholeness both to oneself, as we see in the case of this woman, and to others. Other people, as we see in the case of Jairus. And that's a, a very broad definition. Those are a, some wide gold posts there. Uh, but as we join together in community each week to, to grow in our faith, to deepen in our faith, uh, I think this is a, a practical, helpful definition that helps us avoid some pretty common pitfalls uh, that we find as people practice and grow in the Christian tradition. Because I think we, we all know people uh, who understand Jesus primarily as the great judge in the sky. And when I say judge in the sky, I mean the great condemner in the sky who is just constantly looking over your shoulder, judging what you do, being critical of what you do, and just waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can swoop in, right, and, and cut you down. A lot of people think, of God like that. A lot of people think of Jesus like that. And what that kind of faith does in you is it creates a, an intense feeling of guilt and shame. And, and, you know, to alleviate those feelings, a lot of people become really good at caring for other people, taking care of other people. But, you know, when it, when it comes to seeing the image of God in themselves, uh, they can't get there. They're unable to see it. 
So according to this morning's reading, that, that is not a, a proper faith in Jesus at all, right? Because it may contribute to the, the healing and wholeness of others, but it does nothing for the healing and wholeness of yourself. According to this morning's passage, that is not a commendable faith. Right? That is just Jesus-themed masochism, I think is what this passage would tell us. And then on the flip side, I think we also know people for whom, whom their, their relationship with Jesus fills them with a, a deep sense of self-assurance, gives, fills them with confidence and security, gives them a, a sense of purpose in this life. But then, but then when their child comes out of the closet, their relationship with Jesus causes them to throw that child out on the street. And what we know from statistics is that that is a very large problem in our country because every year 1.6 youth experience homelessness, 40% of which identify as gay or lesbian or transgender. And the vast majority of that 40%, the vast majority of that, what, 500,000 kids were either kicked out of their homes because of their orientation or they made the hard determination that it was safer for them on the streets than it was to live in their home because of who they are. So according to today's passage, that is not a commendable form of faith. Because while it might bring healing and wholeness to yourself, it's bringing no healing and wholeness to that kid that you have thrown out of your home. That is not a commendable faith, says this morning's passage. Right? That's just Jesus-flavored bigotry. Turning to Jesus, reaching out to Jesus, having a hope and a trust in Jesus that brings healing and wholeness to yourself and to other people. That is the faith that this passage commends to us. That is the faith of this church. And more importantly, friends, that is the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen.